Hello and welcome to Wavelength by Resonance, a podcast where we aim to bring you the biggest news in tech from the last two weeks and what headlines to watch out for next. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to Wavelength by Resonance on our third episode. Here with me today is Chris. How are you doing, Chris? Not too bad at all. Thanks very much for having me on, Dan. I've, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed the last two episodes, so I'm happy to be talking with you. No, no need to tell me that, Chris. We all know they're absolutely brilliant, but uh, it's great <laughs> to have you on today. And uh, yeah, so let's get straight into it. The last couple of weeks of tech, and it's been a big one. So the first topic we're covering today is the world's first exascale mm. computer. Now, this is called Frontier, and it's a supercomputer built by Oak Ridge National Laboratory uh, over in America. Uh, and this is the first that's capable of an exaflop, which is basically a quintillion or a billion billion operations per second. Now, obviously, that is completely impossible to conceptualize in any human way. So the best way to look at it is that your typical laptop, you know, over the counter, go to Curry's PC world, grab it, come back home. What you can do with that is only a few teraflops, so a trillion operations per second, which is about a million times less than what you can do with Frontier. Now what this can do, and the reason people are so excited about this, is because it could help solve a lot of very complicated scientific problems. So, you know, nuclear fusion simulation, accurate climate modelling, drug discovery, simulating how stars explode, even calculating the properties of subatomic particles. There's a lot to be excited about in terms of uh, what Frontier can do and where it's going to go in the future. Yes, Dan. So whenever this was first announced, or the construction was first announced in 2019 and um, there was very high expectations and now we are in the final testing phases with plans to fully open the model in early 2023. Mm. When Frontier's up and running it will be the holy grail for modelers and for- forecasters giving more accurate predictions and simulations based on a lot of incidental information but it's not the final iteration and um, it's just sort of a significant milestone that we've reached. So Frontier actually ranked top of the newly released top 500 list of the world's fastest supercomputers, meaning it has overtaken the previous leader, which was the Fugaku machine, which was built in Japan. But it absolutely blows it out of the water. In fact, Frontier is faster than the next seven supercomputers on the list combined, which is absolutely exceptional. That is, that is insane, it to is, be honest. That uh, is absolutely ridiculous. It's got to the point now with these supercomputers that it is just impossible to even imagine what these things can do. But I'm interested, Dan, what your predictions are and how you think this will play out over the coming month. Well, of course. Now, it's important to mention that the exaflop thing is the headline here. It's the it's the big milestone. Yeah. It's the, you know, the one and then a million zeros that I can't even count, as we've said. <laughs> Absolutely. But what this means is that Frontier hasn't actually reached its final form, where it was clocked over an exaflop, but I think it reached up to 1.3 or 1.6, and so over the coming months and years as the software's optimised and they sort of get to grips with it, find the best use cases, it could reach that theoretical peak of two exaflops. So watch out for announcements on new Frontiers being uh, broken as Frontier develops its capabilities and uh, improves its maximum processing power. Absolutely. I think, you know, in the past, whenever supercomputing milestones have been met, 
it has been followed with a, a lot of advancements by similar machines with similar mm. capabilities. Yeah. Um, it's a very collaborative field, um, which is incredibly exciting because once that milestone is reached, then it means there is so much potential for other developers um, to follow closely behind. So it's quite an, an interesting field to be in at the minute. Yeah, definitely. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of piggybacking as companies. I mean, not only piggybacking in terms of one company creates a great supercomputer, but then immediately it might get taken over by another one, but also in terms of the news cycle where these labs, this is their opportunity to get in front of the press. Now supercomputers are right back in the uh, national conversation. On that topic, there's a couple of uh, new leads that have been uh, bubbling around the press recently. The first is that there's rumours that China's developing or might already have faster supercomputers than Frontier, but the key thing is that they wouldn't have submitted them to the top 500, Mm, which is obviously what has um, Frontier as number one. And also Meta, dearly beloved of us all, uh, the renamed (laughs) Facebook, Meta is developing the AI research supercluster, which will allegedly be the fastest supercomputer in the world when it's fully built by about mid-2022. While this is according to them, so perhaps, you know, take it with a grain of salt, it will power the metaverse. So this is really a key foundational aspect of their strategy moving Mm -hmm. forward. So keep an eye on that one. Absolutely. And I think the possibility of the scientific breakthroughs with this kind of technology is absolutely exceptional. Mm. But I also wonder how these companies are going to balance uh, the other side, which is the downsides of these machines. Things like energy costs, the skills Mm. that are required to maintain them. You know, there are some significant problems that can come with these machines just due to their absolutely massive size. Yeah, that's a great point in terms of, you know, now you've made the supercomputer, how do you keep it running? Now, the next topic we're moving on to is one that I was very miffed to find out was announced almost immediately after the last episode. (laughs) And that's that Broadcom announced that they're launching a bid to buy VMware. Broadcom, obviously a huge semiconductor manufacturer, or chip maker, as we like to call them, launched a $69.1 billion takeover of VMware. That's more than Twitter. That's that's a lot of money. That is more than a lot of money, you might even say. This was a hugely complex transaction. They had eight banks, four law firms, all listed as advisors. So obviously this is something that Broadcom are going into perhaps a bit more well-advised than Elon Musk was in his (laughs) Twitter bid, as we are finding from recent news about him trying to back out of it, as we predicted. He's only spending 5% of his time on it, though, apparently. No, of course, a very busy man. Absolutely. Now, VMware, the classic, cloud computing and virtualization company are going to be a big acquisition for Broadcom. Broadcom are paying a significant premium to buy them. Now this isn't a gamble, but it's definitely a significant investment and there's a lot that's going to be riding on it moving forward. The leaders of the two companies have already held an integration planning meeting as of news that came out uh, Monday. Broadcom, Chris, they'll want to hit the ground running, won't they? But when companies of this size join together, there's inevitably some kind of friction. So the offer included a go shop provision, which enables VMware to actually solicit competing offers for 40 days. So it's not yet a done deal. Hmm. Uh, Major cloud vendors such as Microsoft, Alphabet, Oracle uh, were all touted in the press as possible rivals. So definitely watch out for this acquisition possibly being swooped in on or the price being raised by competition. 
So Broadcom said that the two companies shared an engineering-first, innovation-centric culture, which will enable a seamless transition, which is some very nice PR mm. speak, Dan. Um, but yeah. we all know with acquisitions of this size, often it is a little bit more complex underneath the surface. A bit like a swan, there's a lot of very <laughs> nice PR speak, but underneath things are a bit more frantic. According to Forrester Research, after Broadcom purchased CA Technologies in 2018, as well as Symantec in 2018, 19, customers of the two companies saw massive price hikes, uh, worsening support and stalled development. So it will definitely be interesting to see how this merger goes and if it is indeed smooth sailing like they say it is. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's the dichotomy here is how are Broadcom going to treat VMware once they have them? You know, it's a courtship. Maybe once you have them, you don't treat them as nicely. <laughs> are they going to give their leaders kind of relatively free reign to make these decisions and keep the projects in motion that have them doing so well or are they going to do like Chris said with CA Technologies and Symantec and seek to optimise costs and maximise profits over anything else something that leads on from this in terms of what we may see coming up in the next couple of weeks is potential layoffs and staff departures Mm. because as part of its profitability plan Broadcom does plan to eliminate duplicative administrative functions across IT finance, legal, HR across the whole company essentially So potential layoffs are on the horizon. And this is not just from the top down. This could be from the bottom up as well. Because in a recent VMware town hall meeting with employees top executives at the company were asked why they should stay at VMware if Broadcom takes it over. So while we're on the topic of chipmaker acquisitions, Qualcomm has reiterated that it would like a stake in ARM um, and help create a consortium that would help keep the Brit chip designer neutral, or at least out of the hands of any single chip company. Which is, you know, it's a, it's a noble aim, isn't it? Absolutely, it's a crusade, it I'd say. Absolutely. Not at all self-serving. Not at all, not at all. So the CEO has said that the company was interested in investing in ARM and that Qualcomm could join forces with other chip makers to buy ARM outright from its owner SoftBank. That's very interesting. A lot of uh, a lot of moves in the chip maker space. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a place to be. <laughs> Now, the next topic, big deal, big news, all the time. The EU are going to force Apple to accept USB-C charging on the iPhone. Quite like this story, Dan, I can't lie. Uh, A topic of interest to everybody, because this EU deal will essentially force iPhones to use a USB-C charger by 2024 Mm. as a legal requirement. 2024 is quite soon as well. That's coming up. Quite soon. They've got projects in development that are probably uh, further away than that. Absolutely. Now, Apple has previously warned that forcing it to adopt a universal charger would stifle innovation and create an unprecedented volume of electronic waste, inconveniencing millions of people. Unfortunately, the EU have said the exact opposite. For them, it's going to reduce electronics clutter and waste because consumers will no longer need a different charging cable every time they purchase a new device. Now, the EU estimates that this legislation could save consumers quarter of a billion euros per year on unnecessary charger purchases and cut down on around 11,000 tonnes of e-waste annually. Yeah, I have to say, Dan, that the response from Apple on this had me a bit confused because on one hand, they're saying it will stifle innovation, while on the other hand, it says it will create a huge volume of electronic waste. But I think this is the kind of thing that maybe Mm. they could have thought about whenever they were designing chargers. There's a little bit of manoeuvring there 
there for Apple, but ultimately, while yes, there will be some wasted chargers, mm. in the long run, Apple products are going to be used for decades. Yeah. So it might be better to have a more universal charger that everyone can use for several devices. Well, exactly. And this is the thing. Apple's the biggest manufacturer to even use a custom charging port that's exclusive to some of its products. And they've had USB-C ports on some of their other products, like mm. the MacBook in 2015, the iPad Pro in late 2018, even other iPads in 2020. Yeah, I didn't know that. So, yeah, it's interesting how some things they're willing to let it go, but for the iPhone, they're really trying to hold on. But worth bearing in mind, the legislation still needs to be approved by the EU Parliament and Council later this year. This does appear to be a formality, as the move does have a lot of support. So watch out for the official legislative confirmation later Absolutely. this year. And another thing, Chris, it's interesting that this news breaks right in the middle of uh, WWDC 2022, where Apple are unveiling a lot of new things, yes. you know, iOS 16 and all of that. Yeah definitely cramped their style a little bit there I have to say they'll be getting asked a lot of questions about it oh absolutely so far they're declining to comment but uh, keep an eye on the news and see if any any comments slip out of the uh, Apple executives that are up there <laughs> and uh, obviously let's see how future product launches because we all know they're not going to turn this around in two days it's interesting to see how because Apple are one of the people who are looking at wireless charging so it's worth looking out for headlines to see if we're even going to skip from lightning to USB-C to wireless or if Apple are going to make the leap and just go straight to wireless from lightning yeah that is interesting actually because apple does tend to try and be unique in their products and in every aspect of their products whether even down to the charger so i don't think it would be unsurprising to see them just skip that phase entirely and mm. that is uh, another case of lawmakers struggling to keep up with the tech industry and legislating so that they can't take advantage of their consumers yeah exactly and they're getting closer but are they quite there yet now, onto the next topic. We have a couple of updates on UK slash US privacy laws. Now, this comes after the news that uh, US lawmakers have unveiled a bipartisan American Data Privacy and Protection Act. Now, there was the sort of draft bill circulating on this topic, and it seems that a day later, on June the 3rd, this group of lawmakers kind of decided, well, let's show the public what they've got. So they published a discussion draft. Now, the key things about this uh, act is it includes provisions for enhanced children's protections, limited on targeted ads, uh, preemption over facets of state laws in the US, which was a big point of contention in getting this deal over the line there, and a, a limited private right of action. So in conjunction with that, the UK has actually announced uh, its own data reform bill on the 10th of May. It was announced during the Queen's speech and it's aiming at actually loosening data protection and privacy rules that are contained within the UK version of GDPR, all of our mm. favourite our favorite acronym. We love to see it. Absolutely. Um, which was implemented in 2018. So in the background notes published alongside the Queen's speech, the government claims that GDPR and the data protection Act are highly complex and prescriptive pieces of legislation which encourage excessive paperwork and create unnecessary burdens on businesses. Now that's interesting because what we're seeing here is the UK government trying to kind of toe this line between cutting down their own compliance burden versus actually trying to keep the important parts of these data privacy laws that we already have. Now, of course, the UK bill came out about a month ago, so we are seeing how UK legislation is beginning to prompt movement on acts sort of across the world, Absolutely. really. Yeah, I find it interesting how since sort of Brexit and events on a geopolitical scale, how the UK is 
starting to sort of carve out its own space whenever it comes to tech legislation. Mm. You know, maybe a slight departure from the EU whenever they are trying to ramp up their data privacy laws. We see that the UK is starting to cut back a little bit and Mm. it will also be interesting to see how that weighs up to the US legislation as well. Yeah, exactly. So that's one to keep an eye out for just as a quick update, just see how data privacy laws are progressing. Now, the final topic we have today, Taser maker Axon, obviously formerly known as Taser, have abandoned their plans to build a stun gun equipped drone intended for deployment in schools after quite a lot of resignations from its internal ethics board. Mm. And by quite a lot, I mean about three quarters, nine of the existing 12 members left after this. Now, this is obviously an incredibly touchy subject given that this is of course an initiative that the CEO, Rick Smith, did push in the aftermath of the sad school shooting last month in Texas. But it's important to remember that this is something that has been in the works, at least with uh, Mr. Smith, for a very long time. And this is just him sort of taking the opportunity to promote it. He's been pushing this controversial scheme since at least 2019, uh, where he outlined it in his book, The End of Killing. I have to say, Dan, that even though this comes in, the story comes in very tragic circumstances, whenever I first read it, uh, I, I thought it was an onion headline hmm. because the thought of having teasers in in schools, just actually to give a rundown of the actual technology. Essentially, uh, the plan is to install drones in school ceilings encased in a module similar to a smoke detector. Um, so essentially, they can be dispatched and remotely operated by a trained drone pilot in the event that a teacher at the school activates a panic button in a situation such as a school shooting. Now, in terms of what we're looking out for going forward, we need to look at more departures from Axon, see if they're going to make any Absolutely. PR moves to kind of spin this debacle a little bit and see if any spokespeople are going to comment from a tech ethics front about tone deaf initiatives like this one. Thank you for joining us today, Chris. No problem at all, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Been a pleasure having you on. Now, keep an eye on the headlines, and we'll see you in the next fortnight. Goodbye. Bye. That was Wavelength by Resonance. Thank you for tuning in, and please join us next time.